Shanghai Party Chief, Chen Guodong, and Mayor Wang Daohan, deeply appreciated Jiang Shangqing's favors and promotions in the old days. To pay back Jiang Shangqing's goodwill, they both strongly endorsed the dead man's phony adopted son, Jiang Zemin, to become the next mayor of Shanghai. Jiang Zemin came to Shanghai during a time when urban reforms were just beginning. Citizens were faced with the prices of non-staple food products and other daily basic necessities that unexpectedly rose 17% within just one year. The high prices led to public discontent and gave rise to a student movement. At that time, it's Hu Yaobang, who presided over the CCP Central Committee. And the reformist camp had the upper hand. So naturally Jiang Zemin presented himself as being part of the reformist camp. He went to a university to make a speech to more than 10,000 students. The students believed him at the time. During that period, Vice President of the Chinese University of Science and Technology, Fang Liji, after returning from his study at Princeton University in the United States, gave a series of speeches advocating democratic principles. In September across the strait in Taiwan, the first opposition party, the Democratic Progressive Party founded, and 14 years later, won the general election and set the stage for political change in Taiwan. At the end of 1986, the party committee of the University of Science and Technology refused the students to run against the designated candidates for the people's representative positions in the elections in Anhui province. More than 10,000 students from the university took to the streets to demonstrate. The outcries later spread all over the country. Students in Shanghai requested dialogue with Jiang Zemin and demanded political reform, freedom of the press, and a loosening of the governmental control. Jiang Zemin resorted to his old tricks and took Chen Zhili, the Minister of Propaganda with him, to give a speech at Shanghai Jiao Tong University. He stepped onto the podium, a sheet of paper in hand, put on his thick glasses, unfolded his paper, and proceeded to speak about the achievement of the five-year economic plan. The students, however, were noticeably disinterested. The 3,000-plus students booed and hissed at him, and some began shouting slogans. Jiang Zemin with sternness in his voice pointed at the most boisterous student, and said, Jeering about me won't get you anywhere. Let me tell you, I have seen plenty upheavals. What's your name? I dare you, to come up the podium. I dare you to make a speech. To his surprise, the student did get up, and walked up to the podium. He took the microphone and began talking confidently about the news and democracy. Then about ten other students sprung up and went to the podium, standing face to face with Jiang Zemin, ready to debate. Jiang Zemin's legs began to shake as things escalated. Most shocking to him was that the students went so far as to ask an extremely touchy question, how did you become the mayor? He smiled awkwardly in response, as he retreated to the edge of the platform. When people had turned their attention from him, Jiang Zemin signaled for the Minister of Propaganda, Chen Zhili, to take pictures of each student who came up to the podium. He wanted to take revenge on each of them later. After the students' emotionally charged speeches, it's finally Jiang Zemin's turn to speak. He plucked up his courage, cleared his throat, and began to recite loudly, in English, the preamble of the U.S. Constitution, and then Lincoln's 1863 Gettysburg Address, the night before he had gone over each, time and again so as to commit them to memory. Then he began to rumble about how the leadership of the party would be necessary for democracy. The students bowed neither by persuasion nor threat remained fervent in their defiance of Jiang Zemin, even though they have lost the microphone. The afternoon's meeting lasted for over three hours. As the atmosphere grew only increasingly more tense, Jiang Zemin lied, and said that he had an appointment concerning foreign affairs and had to leave.
panic-stricken and eager to escape. On his way out, Jiang Zemin accidentally banged his head on a partially open door. Though the cut was not deep, it bled much. He used his hand to cover his forehead, hurriedly walked out, got into his car, and slipped away. His panic exit was for quite some time the standing joke among students. The first thing Jiang Zemin did, upon returning to his office, was to make a phone call to the party chief of the Shanghai Jiao Tong University, Hei Yusheng. He instructed Hei go to Chen Zhili, and collect the photos of the students from that afternoon. Jiang Zemin urged him repeatedly to uncover the students' names and class years. The next day the students of Shanghai took to the streets, and gathered at the People's Square, marching all the way to the city government, and demanding further dialogue with Jiang Zemin. Jiang Zemin ordered 2,000 police to disperse students by force. The most rebellious were whisked off by bus. The students dispersed in an uproar. To Jiang Zemin the episode was taste of sweet success, success in using political might and force, to suppress dissidents. Those students whose photos were taken by Chen Zhili were not in the same class year, and graduated at different times. In those days, China had a system whereby the government allocated college graduates to different locations. Jiang Zemin, the mayor, personally involved himself for several of years, in the petty work of following up those students. He was not satisfied until each of the students was sent off to the most remote, and poverty-stricken area of China. At meantime, Jiang Zemin instructed to shut down all student organizations and publications. No student gathering were allowed, except dance parties. This way he indulged the students with their more basic desires, distracted them from their concerns over democracy and human rights, a strategy he kept using throughout his term in power. When the student movement started in 1989, students in different parts of the country marched, and organized like wildfire. The students at Shanghai Jiao Tong University, however, closed their doors, and held dance parties every day. In 1985, Jiang Zemin became the mayor of Shanghai, so desperate to show off his political achievements, with so little regard to people. He managed to turn over to the central government tax revenue of 12.5 billion yuan in 1986, which was 50 times of that from Guangdong province. As a result, Shanghai experienced food basket crisis. While the rest of the country was happy to see, at last, an increase of supply of goods, the people of Shanghai were in such dire straits. They couldn't buy even the most basic essential items, and had to use ration cards for many of their purchases. Shanghai was the favorite winter retreat destination for some of the CCP elderly bosses, including Chen Yun and Li Shenyan, who had control over the CCP Central Committee and the State Council, respectively. This fact gave Jiang Zemin many chances to curry favor with influential officials and move closer to fulfilling his political ambitions. The CCP Central Committee's top bosses, most have lifestyles quite corrupted from the beginning. They used to set up Zhang Nan high-performing art troops, brought in beautiful young ladies, and locked them up in there, for the enjoyment of Mao Zedong, Zhou Enlai, and others. At the time, almost all the highest-ranking official were involved in extramarital affairs, Li Shenyan being no exception. He had a mistress in Shanghai, with a background in nursing. Not only did she take good care of him, she also gave birth to his son. Although Deng Xiaoping was the core leader of the second generation, Chen Yun and Li Shenyan constantly held him back as they struggled for power. 
Hu Yaobang's reform attempts upset the conservative camp very much. They had long wanted to get rid of him, but it was Deng Xiaoping who had stood in the way by sustaining Hu politically. After the student movement ended, Deng Xiaoping published his speech of December 30, 1986, called, Take a Clear-Cut Stand Against Bourgeois Liberalization, Opposing Hu Yaobang. Jiang Zemin read Deng Xiaoping's speech the day after it was published, and realized that Hu Yaobang's reformist idea, and the CCP's conservative bent were incompatible. Deng's speech was, to him, pure treasure. He thought that at a critical time, such as then, it's imperative that he declare a completely identical stand as the Central Committee. Coincidentally, in the winter of that year, State Chairman Li Shenyan came to Shanghai, and stayed in the guest house. Jiang Zemin intended to ask him the details about Hu Yaobang. But over dinner, Li Shenyan told him, that he was celebrating a birthday on that day. Jiang Zemin didn't care much of the people's food baskets, however, he had spared no effort in memorizing, by heart, each birthday of the senior members of the Central Committee. He was puzzled, Li Shenyan was born on June 23, 1929, how come he was celebrating his birthday in the winter? Jiang Zemin finally realized, it must be the birthday of his mistress, or his son. He knew he had to do whatever it took to get a birthday gift to them. He found an excuse to get rid of his chauffeur, sneaked out to buy a large birthday cake. It was getting late at that point, but Jiang Zemin, without the slightest hesitation, headed back to the guest house. When Jiang Zemin reached the guest house, he was told that Li Shenyan was attending to another guest. The guard, however, remembering Jiang Zemin, invited him in. Jiang Zemin shook his head though, and stood outside to wait. He was worried that others may discover what he was doing and follow suit. He wanted to be the only one who looked good. Thus he stood in the snow, cake in hand, for a full four hours. Finally, a disappointed Jiang Zemin left the cake with the guard, and returned home. When the guest finally left, the guard gave the cake to Li Shenyan. He told Li that Jiang Zemin stood outside for several hours. His overcoat was covered with snow. Li Shenyan was touched, and said, Young Jiang, not a bad guy, there are not many people around like that nowadays. In 1987, Hu Yaobang was forced to step down. The CCP didn't want a man with a conscience like Hu Yaobang. Whoever speaks up for the common people, poses a threat to the CCP's autocratic control over the nation. The CCP leaders value instead people who fawn over them, engage in double dealings, and show a ruthlessness in suppressing dissidents. And they began considering Jiang Zemin for a higher position. After Hu Yaobang left office, Wei Wen, the party chief of Shanghai, who was always at loggerheads with Jiang Zemin, finally left. Zhao Ziyang appointed Wei Sengwen secretary of the Central Committee's secretariat hoping to dissolve the conflict. He served as the party chief of Shanghai, not even a full term. While Jiang Zemin was busy showering senior CCP leaders with praise and flattery, Deng Xiaoping had to address the serious problems Jiang had caused in Shanghai. He had to quickly make the economic czar, Zhu Rongji, the mayor of Shanghai in order to clean up Jiang Zemin's mess. Jiang Zemin was made Shanghai's party chief. Zhu Rongji was full of talents, capabilities, and charisma. Deng Xiaoping valued him very much. After Zhu became the mayor of Shanghai, his achievements and efforts won the hearts of people which made Jiang Zemin full of jealousy and contempt. He seized every opportunity over all kinds of trivia to severely rebuke Zhu Rongji, making him to endure the humiliation. No matter how poor Jiang Zemin's performance in Shanghai, all the same, 
nothing prevented him from being promoted to the membership in the Politburo of the Central Committee, making him part of the CCP's highest organ of state power. In 1992, Zhurongji became a member of the Standing Committee of the Politburo of the Central Committee, China's highest group of leaders. In 1998, he was then appointed the fifth premier of China. By that time, the incompetent Jiang Zemin had been the general secretary, the state chairman, and the chairman of the Central Military Commission for nine years. While Jiang Zemin may be incompetent with real tasks, when it comes to boasting, few are his match. He had naturally come to understand the power of the media. Many Shanghai publications are read all over across China. So senior party bosses in the Central Party Committee would read them too. Jiang Zemin thus devoted much attention to propaganda in the mass media. One maneuver he made, was to place members of his clique in the Department of Propaganda. After he became mayor, he paid special attention to the contents of media reports. Sometimes he came across as almost paranoid. From the beginning of 1986, Jiang Zemin chaired all meetings with the department propaganda, as well as meetings of the senior editors, of all major Shanghai's media. No previous mayor has ever done this. The routine became important for him. One time, the egotistical Jiang Zemin tried to show off his foreign language skills at a press conference, by incorrectly using the English word faces to represent the Chinese word Mian Mao. The following day, the Liberation Daily dutifully substituted in its report the English word faces with the Chinese Mian Mao, so that its readers could understand it. Jiang Zemin threw into a rage. Everybody knows that Jiang Zemin liked to make a show. As mayor, he had taken charge of the railway stations, where he could draw the most attention. A water leakage at a new railway affected his image. He went in person to the local water supply bureau and yelled at its workers. The pipe was apparently fixed on the very same day. A few weeks later, journalist Xu Jingen, of the Liberation Daily, voiced criticism against Jiang Zemin, for giving such weight to a triviality like a pipe, while neglecting matters of importance. Jiang Zemin outraged about the article, and called a special meeting attacking and blaming Xu Jingen and his superior for the report. As if it's not enough. He soon rectified and reorganized the media. Editors-in-chief and managers, who had a history of truthful reporting, were all removed. From that point on, no media in Shanghai dared to comment on Jiang Zemin. In 1989 the country was full of discontent. Hu Yaobang, the open-minded reformer, passed away, which triggered student movements around the country, with large-scale demonstrations, assemblies, and petitioning activities, calling for a dialogue between the leaders of the country and the students, to promote political reform, and have the country foster democracy and rules of law. On the morning of April 22, the funeral for Hu Yaobang was held in the Great Hall of the People. President Yang Shang-kun hosted the funeral, which was attended by top officials. While Jiang Zemin in Shanghai opposed to the funeral, he nevertheless sent a wreath to Beijing as a sign of mourning. The founder and the chief editor of the World Economic Herald was Chin Ben Li, an intellectual in his 70s, whom news editors held in the highest regard. His publication promoted the democratic idea, and won the trust of over 300,000 highly educated readers. It even had significant weight in setting the tone of the national-level discussion. After Hu Yaobang passed away, the editors of the Herald set to publish a forum. 
Chin Banli thought the forum should hit upon pertinent social and political issues, rather than just go through the usual motions of memorializing the late leader. Jiang Zemin sent Zheng Qinghong, the deputy party chief, along with Chen Zhili to speak to Chin Banli to stop the publication. Chin Banli held his ground. Jiang Zemin became desperate, and enlisted Wang Daohan behind him. He demanded of Chin Banli, in severe terms, to change the final wording of the publication. Wang Daohan further employed party logic to persuade Chen Ben Li. By that point, however, over 100,000 copies of the publication had already been delivered. The publication was met with supports from vast numbers of readers across the country and overseas. The evening after the People's Daily published its editorial We Must Unequivocally Oppose the Turmoil, Jiang Zemin at a large meeting, attended by 14,000 CCP members, announced the dismissal of Chen Ben Li from his position, and restructuring the World Economic Herald. On April 27, Jiang Sen Liu Ji and Chen Zhili, the leaders of Shanghai City Restructuring Leadership Group to take charge of the Herald. Chen Zhili, every bit as relentless as Jiang Zemin, followed his every order. She fired all the Herald employees, and barred all of its editors from further media works of any type. At this time, Chen Benli had been suffering from cancer and was bedridden. Chen Zhili visited Chen Benli with a wide smile on her face. And then she proceeded to read aloud to the dying Chin Ben Li a CCP discipline note against him. Her intention couldn't have been more obvious, she not only wanted Chin Ben Li to die right away, but also wanted him to die without any peace. The CCP's rule lacks legitimacy, unlike any elected government. So it hardly can facilitate any peaceful or smooth transition of power between the generations. To find the qualified successor to rule the party has always been an ultimate challenge. The way Jiang Zemin handled the Herald case impressed the elderly party bosses, and made them have realized that, after all, this was the successor they had been looking for.